Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. I want you to ask yourself uh, this question. How do you pursue God in your life? How do you pursue God in your life? Where do you start? And we originally were doing a series in, in January called Answers in Genesis. And for the last two weeks, I felt uh, led for us to do um, a, a different, uh, to steer off from the series. And for this 21-day fast, I, I, I want us to, for today's message, it's the last, it was the day that we broke the 21-day fast. For those of y'all who don't know, we've been fasting since January 6th, and yesterday was our last day fasting. And we, the reason that we are fasting and uh, devoting ourselves to God is because we wanted to give the very first part of the year to Jesus and our devotion to Him. And this last 21 days was such an amazing experience. And for me personally, I've been incredibly inspired by the people of this church, um, Usually for a 21-day fast, I've been a part of churches before, and I'm not saying every church is like this, but I've been a part of churches before doing 21 days of fasting. And usually, most of the church leaders themselves are, are looking ways to kind of not break the fast, but like get around it. Like they'll go, like say if they're only doing, you know, a vegan diet, which is called the Daniel fast, or if, uh, if they're doing a partial fast where they're waiting till, say, 6 o'clock to eat and they're not eating for 12 hours, um, they're just drinking liquids, they'll go to Smoothie King and get the, the mega smoothie that's like two meal replacements. And, and it's, it's like, yeah, you're not breaking, you know, you're still doing liquids, but I don't think if you blend a steak together, it's okay. <laughs> and, you know, usually so many times I've been a part of, of like a spiritual pursuit and the pastor is, is like really like almost like begging people to take it seriously. And I've been so inspired because there's so many people of our church that just recently started committing to even going to church consistently. And they just have the simple desire to know God in their lives. And, I, and you know, I'm not going to call anyone out specifically, but time and time again, Without me telling anybody to do anything with their fast, to do anything different, I just put out some ideas of what you could do for fasting. I've had so many people tell me, these last three days, four days, these last six days, I want to just really press into God, and I'm only going to drink juice. I'm not even going to eat food. And I was like, dang, are you serious? No one told you to do that? You just feel like you're going to do that on your own? And it's it's so amazing to see people that have just a simple desire to know God. And I'm so glad that faith is simple, that faith is so simple that if you just have this idea that you just want to follow after God, that it, even with fasting, you don't even really have to fully understand fasting. It's just like, well, I just need to give something up and, and pursue God and replace that time with prayer or, or, or trying to chase after God in some way. And God will pretty much figure out the rest. And seeing these people do that, it's been so inspiring. And I know that God has answered so many prayers, that God is just doing a great work in individuals' lives. But today's message is called, Here I Am. Someone look at your neighbor and say, Here I am. Here I am. 
I'm going to read y'all a couple scriptures and I'm going to go kind of fast. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. In Genesis chapter 46, verse 2, it says, During the night, God spoke to him in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he called. Here I am, Jacob replied. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, this is one of my favorite verses of the Bible. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, here I am, send me. Someone look at your neighbor again and say, here I am. Today, I want us to just think about what that means. I want you to think about what that means. Here I am. So many times we think that finding a relationship with God is this complicated scenario. You have to pray this long or do these steps. I I, I personally do not like, uh, or I really don't like books that are like 22 steps to enter the presence of God. I was like, dang, (laughs) 22 steps. That's a, what if I mess up on step four? (laughs) Am I still going to make it? I believe that pursuing God starts right here. If you're just telling God, wherever you are in your walk, wherever you are in your journey, here I am, God. I'm not perfect. I'm not necessarily where I want to be, but here I am. The first point that we're going to talk about is pursuing God. Pursuing God. And, and I want you to have a, a, a tone in your hearts and your mind throughout this whole message, an idea of surrender. Of surrender. I feel like surrender is something that can go over our heads very easily. But this idea of being surrendered to God, surrendered to God in our lives, what does that really look like? And I want to I let you guys know now that today it, it may feel like a different kind of service than what we usually do. I'm a very down-to-earth person. I, I like to do things very practically. But we did just do a 21-day fast, and so it's going to be a, a, a little extra spiritual today. So I want you all to just bear with us, and, and don't freak out. I'm not going to do anything crazy, or, but I want you to know that, that we've really, I mean, think about we, all of us have been fasting and praying for God to move for the last 21 days. And, and don't you think that the God of the universe, the God that rose the dead, the God that created all things, the God that did miracles, don't you think that he's still alive today? that he's so powerful today, that, that even church should be more than just us having a talk and patting ourselves on the back and saying, well, that was nice. Let's go on with the rest of our lives because God is just on Sunday. God is just a two-hour time. And, and today is going to be just, I, I believe that's going to be a spiritually moving service. Y'all dig that? And so starting with pursuing God, I, I feel like uh, all the time I hear people say, where do I start? Where do I start? And I love that, that we feel like, even though we feel like we have to understand God, even some of us, I've heard so many people say, well, I need to get right first before I ever start going to church. 
I, I, I want to read through the whole Bible before I can start listening to the message. It, it's like we, we have this idea. It's like we have to complete something before we can come to Jesus. But in Mark chapter 10, verse 14 through 16, it said, when Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. Then he took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. This is a very unique verse because Jesus is saying, if you have childlike faith, you'll be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. But without childlike faith, you'll never see it. You know, a child will believe anything. You, you could tell a child that, that you're hunting dinosaurs in the backyard. And they're like, yeah, I see them. <laughs> I see them now. You're right. And if, if we could believe that God is saying the Holy Spirit lives in you, that we could believe that and say, yeah, I, I believe it. I see it. That When God says, I can do miracles through you, that you could say, oh, yeah, I see it now. I believe it. And what's interesting in this scenario is that what happened right before Jesus starts talking is that some, some parents were trying to bring their kids before Jesus. There's so many times in the Bible where kids were, were trying to get close to Jesus. And just like a lot in our time, we almost look at kids being in the way. Like, no, you don't know what you're doing. Get back. He doesn't want to talk to you. You're, you're making a... You're making a scene. Shh. How many other times have you told a kid to shh? shh. I, I've never understood how incredibly uh, difficult, not difficult, that's the wrong word, how much different it is to have my own daughter now. And whenever my daughter starts crying, it's like, I, I, before I was like, that everyone looks and is like, there's a kid crying, Wow. But when it's your kid, it's like you don't even listen to anything else in the room. It's like you forget that you're, you don't even think about it. And you're, like, and you're just catering to the needs of your child. And to see Jesus take these children, and it says, I mean, keep in mind that this is when all the crowds were around Jesus. There's times where thousands of people were on him. When, when it says that there was a time where a woman grabbed his robe and, he's, and she was healed, and he said, who touched me? All the disciples said, are you crazy? There's hundreds of people here. There's dozens of people touching you right now because it's so packed here. What do you mean who touched me? So people were all around and, and Jesus says, wait, hold on. He, he stops the whole thing, the whole show and takes time to cater to one child. He says, let me see this child. And out of all the people there, he says that he lays his hand on them. They didn't need any he healing. They didn't need any miracle. They didn't need to hear a word from God. And, and yet God says, I'll take my time with you. And he blessed them. And what I see here is when, when people start pursuing God with childlike faith, think about what it, how it's so similar to this story. That they're just chasing after Jesus. They don't, they don't really know what, what all the steps to do, but they're just trying to take one step after another and oftentimes, people around you, around those pursuing Christ, are trying to stifle their pursuit. I remember when I, 
when I first gave my life to Christ, I had so many people that were close to me, so many family relatives that started telling me, you don't need to go to church that much. Sunday is just fine. You don't need to go for the prayer services and all that. And it was, and I was just simply trying to get close to Jesus. And just like in this scenario, the people that, that were there say, no, you don't need to just, shh, just stay back in the stands. Don't make a scene. Don't go up to the altar. Don't press into God. And I think it would be funny for me to share the very first time that I fasted. Can I share that with you guys? Because I think it's an epitome of childlike faith. Because I was very ignorant of a lot of things. I barely got started. I was never raised in church. And so I didn't really have any cognitive uh, place of reference of what pursuing God was supposed to look like. I just started reading the Bible and I gave my life to Christ. And I was so, you know, I was still so messed up with different things. I still struggled with so many different st- things. But one thing that was true is that I did have a heart that wanted to go closer to Jesus. And there is a time when, when I first gave my life to Christ, I don't even think I had been invited to a church yet. But I was serving Christ for a couple months at this point. And I was reading the Bible and and. and just being blown away by what I was finding out about this God of the universe, this Jesus that loved me so much. And I, I, at the time, I lived in a town called Del Rio. And I, what, what I would usually do was whenever there's a holiday break or something, I would, I would, I would uh, take off and I would, I would come and visit. I was still in high school. I was a senior in high school. And I would come and visit my old friends in San Antonio because I was originally from here. And once I found God, I was like, wow, I can't believe this. And, and here's the thing. I hadn't even got to the point where I realized for me that I, I was still smoking weed. I, I lived a, a, a completely different life then. And, and I, I did drugs and most of my friends were gang members. And, but all of a sudden my whole life changed. And there was so, many, so much sin that was being peeled away of my soul and at this point in my life, I was still smoking marijuana and I came and I went to my usual friend's house. It was uh, my, one of my good friends and his wife. He was older than me and I said, man, you guys won't believe what I've been experiencing. I, I've been finding God like never before. I've been reading this book and I never knew these things about Jesus. And what we, uh, this time I was like, man, would you guys want to do something with me? I've been reading about fasting and, and pursuing God and devoting our time and our efforts to him. Would you guys want to do a 12 hour fast with me on this Saturday? I know I'm only here for the weekend, but y'all want to do a 12 hour fast. And I said, I don't really know all that you're supposed to do, but I have just this basic concept. We just, we don't eat or drink any liquids all day. And and we, we'll, what we'll do is we'll fast from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. We can eat before and after, but for 12 hours, instead of eating, we're praying and, and devoting our time with God. And they were like, yeah, man, that sounds awesome, dude. We're like, you know, sometimes people are just like extra spiritual. They don't even go to church or anything. They're like, yeah, totally, man. Like, like, let's pursue this like entity, this being. And it's like, all right. Like, yeah, it's like his name is Jesus. I, I found it out. And. So they, they do this fast with me. 
We didn't, we didn't eat any food. We didn't even drink any water. 12 hours of nothing. And this is what, was, what, what is most special about this, this childlike faith that we had. While my friend went to work and I stayed at, at his place, he talked about how he resisted out of all the days there's breakfast tacos at work that day. The devil. <laughs> the, and he resisted and said, no, I'm, I'm fasting today for God. And they're like, you, you like God? <laughs> like, well, today I do. <laughs> and while I stayed at home, and my, this is what's so funny is that the whole day I smoked weed. The whole day I, I, was, I was token up. I was praying and everything. I was still spiritual, but I was smoking weed the whole time. And, and I believe that it made my fast that much more intense. Because I don't know if any of you guys know, and I, and I know that's not from experience or anything, but there's two, there's two very specific side effects of smoking marijuana. The street terms are the munchies and cotton mouth. What those mean are your mouth gets so dry that you just have to drink water, anything, anything, because your mouth gets so dry. And the other thing is the munchies, what that means is, for those of you who do not know, is that it just inspires this hunger in you. And man, I was getting, the, all that thirst and hunger was, was turning into a thirst and hunger for righteousness. <laughs> but man, I was suffering. <laughs> and I remember I was just, I was getting poor. I was like, oh my gosh. This is, this is horrible. But at six o'clock, we, we decided we're going to break this fast by going to China Buffet. <laughs> the most spiritual way you could do it. <laughs> and I said, before we go, let, let's all pray together. Let's have a little prayer session. Keep in mind that I was never raised in church. I didn't know how to pray. And we sat Indian style on the floor and held hands. <laughs> You're like, man, you guys were potheads. <laughs> we held hands and I just started praying. I, I don't even know what I said. But I began to pray and it wasn't just a two second prayer. I just prayed and I prayed. And I remember it was one of the, I felt inklings of the presence of God before. But when, when we prayed that day, from that point in my life, up to that point, I never felt the presence of God so strongly it was completely different than anything I've ever experienced in my life. It wasn't that I was high. I've been high for a long time. I never felt anything like this. It superseded any drug I've ever done, any pleasure that I've ever consumed. And the presence of God was so strong that even my friend's wife just started breaking down and crying, just started weeping in the presence of God. All we had was just childlike faith. But see, if you have that, before God, that's enough for him. You just have, it doesn't matter if you go through all the steps that somebody else will tell you to go through. If you just have the simple faith, say, God, I, I want to know you. He'll, he'll answer that. God is looking for those who worship in spirit and truth, not in flesh and letter. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus says, But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, the Father is looking for those who worship Him in that way. I had some people knock on my door the other day of a different 
um, denomination. Um, and, and for those of you who don't know, we, we're, we're, our church is Christian. We're non-denominational, but we're a very biblical church. We, we have all of our beliefs on our website. And if we were to lean towards one denomination or the other, it'd pro- we'd probably lean to Pentecostal. Um, but we're, we're, um, we're, we're very welcoming people. <laughs> And the reason that we chose to be non-denominational is just be inclusive, simply to be inclusive to all people. And even though these, these people that knocked on our door, they were from a different denomination, we're, we're very, uh, we're, we don't view every denomination as being wrong or wicked or anything like that. We, they, they came to my door and they even said, why do you think there's all these different churches out here if we have one book? If we only have one book, why would there be so many different denominations and religions? And I said, well, my opinion, if you want it, is that God is so infinite, so glorious, that there are so many aspects of God, and every denomination gets one of those aspect, aspects and glorify it the best they can. Man, they looked at me like, how could you say that? <laughs> Because they're trying to project to me that their denomination was the only right one. And, and I have a simple belief, guys, that I believe that if you were to put 10 people of different religions into a room, if you were to put 10, 10 people of different religions in one room, that they would argue fervently about their faith and their religion, but they would still leave dignified men. But if you were to put 10 people of the same religion, but of different denominations, they'd kill each other. They would straight out kill each other. Because we believe the aspects that we see of God are the only ways that, that you can do. You can only do it this way. And while there are some biblical truths that are immovable, I believe that God is, has so much grace for our faith that there's a lot of different denominations that are right. And that's how all of them could view things so differently yet still be right. The simple truth that I have is that anything that takes away glory from Jesus Christ is not of God. That's how I'm able to choose whether I believe in, if I support a denomination or not. And these guys, they, they were trying to, I believe that what they were trying to tell me was, was taking away glory from Jesus. And so I, I, I became kind of fervent for the, what I believe in. They started telling me, well, people have to do this, that. It's not, you can't just believe in Jesus and that's it. You have to do this too. And I, I felt really glad that I had been doing the 30-day New Testament challenge. <laughs> I've been fasting because I was like, man, I'm all fired up right now. <laughs> and I was quoting so many scriptures to them, I don't think they were expecting it. <laughs> but they, they got stumped so many times. Like, well, I, 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 I was like, that's right. <laughs> you didn't expect that from some... Young buck when you came here, did you? And they asked me, well, don't you think that we have to obey all these laws? Like, don't you think that no one can be accepted by God unless they obey all these things? How do you think someone starts walking with God? And they wanted me to say, well, they have to be 100% water baptized, that they have to be holy and sanctified, and that they have to do all these things. And I said, well... I believe that people just start in spirit and truth because that's what God is looking for. They got mad when I said, (laughs) and this verse is so simple. She's saying, 
Let me read you all another verse. In, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, it says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary, carrying heavy, heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. You know, the, the Bible does say that the path to heaven is a narrow gate, but the path to hell is a broad highway. But here Jesus is saying, hey, it's not as difficult as you might have thought. Because when you put your trust in me, you're going to feel lighter. You're not going to feel burdened by all these obligations and rules that you feel like you have to follow. Jesus said, hey, if you want somewhere to start, start in spirit and truth. And once you get past that and you're looking to, to follow the commandments of God, said, Jesus said, I'll, I'll sum them all up for you to make it simple. He says all of the commandments and all of the teachings of the prophets can be summed up into two commandments. There's over 300 commandments in the Old Testament, all these different laws and teachings. And Jesus said, hey, look, I'm going to just sum it all up into two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Just focus on doing those two things. And following after God in spirit and truth. And you'll be alright. I believe that when it comes to trying to pursue God in your life. All you have to do is start walking in the right direction. You just got to start walking in the right direction. You, you will, you'll never get to a point where you say. There's so many people who think. Man I just need to get right first with God. Before I start really chasing after him. Before I start going to church. Or, or really committing I didn't get all this stuff right first. That'll never happen. It, it will constantly keep you away. But that's why Jesus says, no, stop carrying that load and carry my load instead. I believe that life is incredibly simple. Now, this isn't a specific Bible verse, but I believe that it's beneficial. <laughs> a lot of times we think that life is, is this, this intelligent journey. That... All the guidings and teachings of God is this, this very complex walk that we have to step. It's like we're, we're walking on this tightrope of our faith. And if we make one small mistake, we're going to fall off and we're going to have to start all over. Well, I believe that pursuing God is a lot more like walking down a trail. There's going to be different paths that you can take. Some might be more beneficial than others and some paths might be just dead wrong. And the other one real right. I think right at the beginning of your faith, it's pretty obvious of a wrong and right. But later on, as you mature in your relationship with God, those decisions become a little more tough to make. Because they both seem right, but they're one might, that might be more beneficial than the other. But I believe that life is a lot more like just walking down that path. And I believe that no matter who you are, at one point as you're walking down this path, a tree is going to fall on you at some point or another. A tree is going to just simply fall on you. And it's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. And you're going to question saying, why? Why? And you have a choice to lay under that tree and mope and think, man, this is the worst. Go into depression. Think, man, I can't believe how bad this is. Or you can turn back to where you came from. Say, man, this, isn't, this trail isn't working out. I'm going back. Or you can do the third option, and that's just to keep going forward. The only difference is you're going to be crawling. But as you're crawling, 
You're going to have a lot more desperation to get where you're going. I believe life is a lot more like that. Someone say pursuing God. I was like, dang. <laughs> the next point I want to talk about is doctrine and devotion. Look at your neighbor and say doctrine and devotion. Yeah, see, I got the emphasis going on. I strongly believe that time and effort is given to what's important in your life. Time and effort is given to what is important in your life. I'll give the simple example of eating. Eating is important to all of us, especially the ones that have been fasting. Like This morning, all of our kids, they've been doing the 21-day fast, and, and I don't mean to call them out or anything, but usually we have to wake them up like two or three times. It's usually me. I've tried every way. I've tried putting on, you know, funny songs and their favorite songs in the morning and wake them up in a good mood. And they still just look at me in their bed with this glare like, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you ever beckon me out of this room? And then there's other times where I just told them, if you don't get up right now, I'm going to take away your phone. <laughs> That's been the most productive way I've found. <laughs> but today, they've been fasting. And I told our, our, our group knew that today at sunrise that we could break the fast and we could finally eat whatever we wanted. And for, the, for our boys, they've been, they, they've been waiting to drink some soda. <laughs> they've been waiting to eat a cinnamon roll. <laughs> and... For the first time since they've been living with us, since I've ever known them in their history of being alive, when they came out of their rooms today, I didn't have to wake them up. Seven in the morning, didn't have to wake them up. Usually it's like eight o'clock. Guys, we have to go in like 30 minutes. They woke up on their own and they came out with a smile on their face. (laughs) They were trying to hold back their smile. They're like, Glory to God, guys. (laughs) And they had no problem making the time that morning. They had no problem making the effort to get up because they knew that something was very important to them. (laughs) Getting the food that they so desired, the the root beer that they've been waiting to, to go on their taste buds once more. But see, when... We, we will move heaven and earth for what's important for us. Think about whatever is important to you. It's usually enter, entertainment. Entertainment is like our go-to. Uh, some people will move heaven and earth to get their favorite show on time. Some people will, will move heaven and earth to watch the football game. If, if, if the football game doesn't even have to invite you, but you're like, oh, I'm going to be there, baby. <laughs> I'm going, to watch, I'm going to watch them cowboys. It doesn't matter what's in my way. It's our, honeymoon, our anniversary. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm going to watch that game. But what's hilarious is I know people like that, but when I invite them to church, they're like, yeah, I'll try. <laughs> hey, man, are you, are you going to do the 30-day challenge? It, it only takes like 15, 20 minutes to do the readings. Well, I don't know if I have time to do that. <laughs> I can set aside an hour and a half to watch the game and nothing will will break away during that time. 
But man, to devote time to God, man, I just don't have time. See, the truth is we, we do make time for what's important. We do make the effort for what we care about. But oftentimes we take the grace of God as, a, as so much of a privilege that we neglect it. You guys see what I'm saying? I mean, since I've been given my life to Christ, I mean, since I've been a, a, a pastor, since I've ever been in ministry, I, I, I usually invite everybody and their mother to church. Every time I talk to somebody, I invite them to church. And there's probably less than 1% of people that show up. <laughs> there's a lot of people that tell me like, yeah, I know that I really need to start going. But it's almost impossible for them to make a commitment to devote their time and effort to God. And I believe that when it comes to your devotion, that it's never going to happen unless you start making it important in your life. Not because you're trying to earn salvation. You're trying to, to earn an insurance policy to go to heaven. But simply to devote your time, your effort to a God that loved you so much He died on the cross for you. That just out of the, the kindness of God's heart that you're compelled to respond. And, and I believe that a lot of reason why people don't make the time and the effort is because they don't, be, they don't know why they believe what they believe. I want you to ask yourself, why do I believe what I believe? Why do you believe what you believe? I, I work with uh, an organization called Youth for Christ, and we go to high schools and middle schools, um, and we have these Christian club groups, and all these kids come to the club. Some are, some are Christians, some are atheists, some don't really care, some do care. And I, I usually ask people that tell me that they're Christians or that they go to church, well, why do you do that? And there's one time where a student, I asked a student that, and I said, well, why do you believe in God? Why do you go to church? And he said, well, God really helps me when I feel down and stressed out, and he helps me like, to like have that peace. That sounds good, right? Like, that sounds like a pretty good answer. And I said, well, why don't you just smoke weed for that? And he looked surprised and said, well, I'd get in trouble. I was like, well, shoot, I mean, one day you're going to move out of your parents' house and you won't have to worry about getting in trouble. That circumstance will change. I said, well, why do you believe in Jesus? Why don't you believe in Buddha or Allah or somebody else? He said, well, I, I don't really know. I guess I was just raised that way. I said, well, man, it's a big world out there. Well, you need to find out why you believe what you believe. And so many times when I ask people why they believe in God, why they believe specifically in Jesus Christ, the answer is very vague. And it's usually my life has been really good or my life has been really bad. And those of y'all who have been alive long enough know that that will change. <laughs> Whether it's good or bad, your life will always have ups and downs. And there's plenty of families that I've known personally that were in love with God because He helped them get out of a situation that was tough. And as soon as everything, kind of all the water settled, they just went back to doing what they were doing and, and left the idea of God of more of like a concept rather than a devotion. And there's the re it's, it's even in our name, Gravetop Church, the reason that any Christian should believe is 
is because Jesus rose from the dead. Some people say, even, well, I believe because Jesus died for me on the cross. Well, that's not enough. If he died on the cross for you, that would just be a nice gesture. But if he didn't raise from the dead, he would have been a liar or a lunatic because he said he was the son of God, that he's going to raise from the dead. And if he didn't, our faith would be meaningless. And even in 1 Corinthians, it tells us that if, we, if Jesus did not raise from the dead, then we have nothing to live for, that we as Christians are the worst to be pitied because we don't take the pleasures of sin. And if we're going to just die and that's it, then we, we should just eat and drink for tomorrow we die. There's no point to, to live lives like we're living if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if there's not really a God. The Bible tells us that. And so if you put your faith in that simple truth, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that's why you can put your, stand on your faith, that's something that will never change. Our lives, our, our families, our friends, everything will always change. Our culture will change. Even the idea of, well, we, we have a, we're, we've been a, a, a Christian nation before. There's so many churches here. That's why we're Christians. Well, we need to, our nation will change. One day it might not be the Christian nation. It might, it might be haters of God. So we need to have our faith solid in the thing that won't change. And that's Jesus' resurrection. And in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. I mean, think about it. Someone, most of the time when, I, when I'm around somebody and someone says like, well, why are you a Christian? It's usually like, well, I'm, uh, uh, there's a stutter, a hesitation. Well, let, me, let me gather together my thoughts. Let me just get, make it real simple for you. Jesus rose from the dead. That's why I'm a Christian. If you ever prove that wrong, then I have no reason to be a Christian anymore. You know, when it comes to doctrine, learning from others is beneficial. It's beneficial to learn from others, but the Holy Spirit is the best teacher and will only teach in times of devotion. The Holy Spirit is the best teacher and will only teach in times of devotion. Let me read you some scriptures real fast. In Matthew 13, 12, it says, To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and, those, and, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But to those who are not listening... Even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. That's some tough stuff right there. Jesus is saying, if you don't really listen to, to the Holy Spirit, if you don't listen to me, I'm not going to keep talking to you. But in 2, Timothy, or in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 2, it says, But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies. And even deny the master who brought them. In this way, they will bring sudden destruction on themselves. And many, many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality. And because of these teachers, the way of truth will be slandered. Just think about what Peter is saying here. He's not saying that you're going to be, don't worry, only dumb people are going to follow after false teachings. I mean, there's a lot of competent people out there. I mean, I, when I, when, even those people that knocked on my door, I, I mean, I knew enough scripture to prove what they were teaching was wrong. And they were, they were competent human beings, but because they just listened to somebody else, 
They believe a lie over a truth. There's so many people that, that believe just what somebody is saying. But if you don't read it yourself, how are you going to really know? The Bible says that there's going to be plenty that will say, yeah, the Bible says this. And it's not going to say that. Think about the simple idea like godliness is next to cleanliness. That's not a Bible scripture. I've heard people tell me so many common sayings and say, well, doesn't the Bible say this? That's not a scripture. That was just something your mom made up to make you clean your room. <laughs> how, how will we know? How will we know? Think about the churches. There, there's some churches out there where like the, the pastor, whoever, the priest, whatever, goes through some crazy immorality. And people keep going. Think about that. It, they keep going like, well, I mean, where else will I go? He, he's, he's taught me all my life, so. Think about the, 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 the churches that have these crazy scandals. Think about the churches that are so, like when you watch the televangelists on TV, isn't it just asinine? And you think, how could anybody believe this guy? How could people send this guy money? Yeah, he's wearing a $3,000 suit. People believe it. There's a, one time I remember that this guy was selling healing water. All you had to do was call and make a donation of $10 or more. And they would send you that healing water. And they had people saying, like, someone just called in right now. They, their back is healed in the name of Jesus. Get your healing water today. And I remember, I just wanted to call and see, is there really somebody on the other line of this? And I couldn't even talk to anybody. It just said an automatic voice, like, if you're ready to get your healing today, answer your credit card number now. <laughs> and, and when it's stuff like that, I think, man, how do people fall for that? It's because they don't read the Bible themselves. They're not willing to devote to doctrine. And so they just listen to whatever doctrine they hear because it sounds right. There's a lot of inaccurate things that sound right. Politics is a perfect example. I, I think it's hilarious that both sides of politics yell at each other with facts. <laughs> these, these are facts here. And then the other side, well, these are facts. And both facts go against each other. There has to be a truth somewhere, right? But there's so many people that manipulate and teach whatever they, they want to gain your side you'll never know spiritual truth unless you find out yourself. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But when the Father sends the advocate, talking about the Holy Spirit, as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you everything I have told you. God is saying the Holy Spirit will be the one that teaches you best. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, it says, For you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. Think about how bold of a statement that is, that God is saying, you don't need me. I'm a pastor telling you that you don't need me to teach you the truth. The Bible says you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything. Everything means spiritual and physical. Everything from from devotion and doctrine to practical living, it says everything. 
everything you need to know. And what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Doctrine is so important. Doctrine is so important. How will you know if you, if what is real doctrine or not, unless you find out yourself? Y'all dig what I'm saying? Look, I'm, I'm a pastor. My, my life is, is my, my, my path of career. If you want to look at it like that is to pastor churches. And I'm telling you as much as I love preaching, as much as I love teaching the word that the Holy Spirit is a a hundred billion times better of a teacher than me. The best things I've ever learned was from personal times of devotion. Don't get me wrong. Teachers are beneficial to your faith. They help bring clarity on things. They help give you right direction. But you should be so much more reliant on the Holy Spirit in your life rather than teachers, rather than preachers. Y'all dig what I'm saying? Now let, let's end with this last point, the Holy Spirit promise. Someone say the promise. the promise. God promised the gift of the Spirit and described it as a baptism of fire. Let me read y'all some verses starting in the Old Testament in the book of Joel. It says in Joel chapter 2, verse 28 through 29, Then after doing all those things, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people, all people, all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on servants, men and women alike. The reason that this is so meaningful, because in those days, only the high priest would hear from God. Only the priests of Israel, only the tribe of Levi was able to minister the, the, the heart of God, the message of God. And here God is saying, no, I'm going to pour it out over everybody. Even when Moses had the spirit of God on him and he prayed for God to pour his spirit on, on the other leaders of the tribes of Israel. Joshua was offended and said, Moses, they're, they're praying in the spirit like you. They're, they're, they have the power of the spirit on them. Make them stop. And Moses said, I wish that God's spirit was upon everybody. And it says men and women alike. I don't think I need to remind anyone that in those times women had no rights. There's nothing like today, let alone being a servant of God. And here God is saying, no, from now on, there's going to be no differentiation because I will use even the least of these with my spirit. In Matthew chapter three, verse 11, this is John the Baptist, the Baptist. And he says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now remember, Jesus is alive. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And it says in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 17, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. 
later will be in you. And then it says in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4 through 5, it says, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, talking about Jesus, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few, just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Thinking about this verse, this is right before Pentecost happened where it says that the Holy Spirit came like, like tongues of fire and fell on the, the 12 disciples. And Jesus rose from the dead and trusted the entire gospel message at the hands of the disciples. Instead of Jesus telling everybody else that he was the son of God, he said, hey, I just went through all the agony and the punishment of the cross, and now I'm resurrected. But instead of me going and telling everyone personally, I'm going to use you as my ambassadors. It's all in your hands, bruh. That's what he told the disciples. And with the most important mission they were ever given by Jesus, he says, do not start this mission until you receive the Holy Spirit. Everything was leading up for them to proclaim the gospel into all the world. The Great Commission where Jesus said, go into all the earth, baptizing in my name, making disciples, teaching them the gospel message. He says, before you do all that, before you get started, wait for the Holy Spirit to come. So we, the Bible shows us that the Holy Spirit is a very influential part of our faith. And that it's a promise. And what the Holy Spirit gives is peace, power, and prayer. Peace, power, and prayer. When Jesus promises peace to the disciples, it's right before he goes to the cross. He says, behold, I leave you with peace. I am going to leave you with peace. And it was right before he went to the most brutal death. And, right, and it was also when he knew that every single one of the disciples were going to go through either being killed and martyred for their faith or, or being persecuted. You know, every single one of the disciples was a martyr except for John. And John was deserted and exiled, left for dead. And Jesus, knowing that, tells them, but I give you peace. So what that means is that God doesn't promise your life to be better, but he promises you a peace that will surpass any chaos you experience. And that peace is found in the Holy Spirit. And the power of the Holy Spirit gives you the grace and ability to do the things that you could not do. To even speak uh, the gospel message when you have no ability to speak. I mean, think about... I'm not saying I'm a good preacher or anything, but think about even this message I'm sharing to you and the knowledge and, and the scripture and the, the edification that comes from this message. And I have, I have nothing within me. I'm a nobody. I was a drug, a, a drug addict before. I, most of my friends were gang members. I was a, a hair away from joining a gang myself. And yet here I am teaching you about the gospel. And I'm not just telling you a plain Jane message saying like, you're, you're meant to be blessed. Yes, amen. I'm telling you some doctrinal stuff. And it's, it's the Holy Spirit's power within me. It, did you know that the power of the Holy Spirit gave the, the apostles, the disciples that turned into apostles, the ability to perform miracles, that when they would lay their hands on others, that they would be healed. 
I mean, think about it. Have you ever seen a healing yourself? I have. I've been healed by God. And, and it says that they even cast out demons. Now look, I'm not trying to spook anybody out. But everyone's had like an ooga-booga moment, right? <laughs> everyone's like, ooh, like... Everyone here has been a kid and ran through the halls and flipped on the lights when they had to go to the restroom or get water. <laughs> that evil hallway in the house. <laughs> Everyone's ran as fast as they could because they couldn't see. And they just knew that there was light. That for some reason any demonic force would not be able to touch them. <laughs> see, even as a kid, you know that the light of the world in Jesus is powerful enough to expel all darkness. But let me tell you this, that there, there are real angels, there are real demons. And as weird as it sounds, I've cast out a demon before when I was 18 and on fire for God. We did a deliverance session at this crazy Pentecostal church. I was like, man, this is wild now. And I remember I was, I was, I was so filled with faith. I said, man, I want to I wanna beat a demon up. I used to beat up people before. Now I'm going to beat demons up. <laughs> And I was praying, we were praying for people with addictions. I was saying, man, I hope some kid comes up to the altar that's so messed up and he's going to have all these, these demons. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rebuke those demons and cast them out. And this kid comes up crying. I was like, oh man, this is going to be good. I put my hand on his shoulder. I was 18. I said, what is it, son? <laughs> what is it? He's crying. I could barely get out the word. I said, so what is it? What are you addicted to? Video games. <laughs> oh, man. That's not addiction, man. I, I have that. <laughs> and so I started praying for him. I said, God, set him free. And this kid started manifesting. What that means is he started shaking uncontrollably. So, oh, shoot, we got a live one. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I started praying over this kid. He fell to the floor, convulsed. Oh, man. I was like, come over here. I'll get this demon out of here. And I thought, man, demons are so clever. They, they, they conform to something that's so acceptable in our society that you wouldn't even expect it to be spiritual. And the Spirit of God gives power. There's, I mean, think, if you believe in heaven, that means you believe in spirit. That this world is not it. It's not just we're, we're dead and turn into a tree. You believe that there's an eternity. And if there's an eternity, if, if God is making all these spiritual signs, then that means that there's this, 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 this battle between flesh and spirit. There's, and Jesus says, I've given you power in the Holy Spirit. An authority in the spiritual realm. That's a, that's a really weird thing. Now, I want to show you guys why this is the last point that we have. And I have, I have a lot of scriptures today because I wanted to show you in the Word of God why this is true and why you should believe it. Not because I'm just telling you, but because I'm pointing in the scriptures. I'm going to compare a couple to just... Just two, three different signs of the Holy Spirit to show you that when Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit came, that it wasn't just one time Holy Spirit overflowed over the entire earth and that was the only baptism of the Holy Spirit one time. 
I'm going to show you in Scripture how baptism of the Holy Spirit is for each individual when they believe and not just a general idea. And this is the part where I showed those, those guys that came to the door the other day. After I, I started pulling out these, these different Scriptures, they left and they were upset at me. In Acts chapter 2, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like a roaring and mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames of tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. It began speaking in other languages. And as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability... It's, I want you to think about what this is saying. It says, be, before we look at this verse, if this is hard for you to believe, I mean, picture this scene. This is like a movie, like, of, like the Avengers or something. It says that what looked like tongues of fire came into the room and rested on each of the people there. That there was a rushing wind that it sounded loud like a jet plane hovering over them. Now, don't even start thinking that it was aliens, okay? It's like UFO. No. It, if this is, what we're talking about is difficult to believe. I want you to just, if it is, because when I first thought of this, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. But what is harder to believe? This or a human being being raised from the dead? Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. If you can't believe this, how could you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. That is, such, that is so much more incredible to do than to see something so spiritual like this. Do y'all dig what I'm saying? And, and look what happens after it says that they all started praying in tongues in different languages that they didn't understand. And it says in Acts chapter 2, just a couple verses down, verses 12 to 13, it says, and they stood, the other people came out and they stood there amazed watching them what can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Have you ever heard someone praying in tongues before? It sounds ridiculous. It sounds like foolishness. And see, these, these people could not see the spiritual manifestation of God, and they could not believe it. And so what happens... When we don't want to believe the spiritual aspects of God, we ridicule it. We, we make fun of it. They're just drunk. And people that, if you've ever seen someone being prayed for and they fell over. Now look, there's been times where I've been prayed for, I didn't fall over and someone tried to push me, okay? That happened. <laughs> but there's, I, I believe in the Spirit of God. And when, when you look at that and say, they're just faking it. Or if someone says, man, I felt the presence of God and say, well, they just changed the AC in the room. That's how they make you feel goosebumps. <laughs> See, you, you normalize something that's supernatural. But it, it's so clear in the Bible that we shouldn't try to normalize a spiritual manifestation of God. Even though it does sound crazy. Even though it may even seem foolish. God says in His Word that He will use the things that seem foolish and confound those who think they are wise. And I want to put emphasis on that they're speaking in tongues in this book of Acts. There's other parts where it says that 
they're speaking in unknown languages. There's other parts where people are speaking in tongues and it's another language that they didn't even realize was a language. And there's other times where it said that they were speaking in a heavenly language that sounded like utterings and moanings that could not be understood. But here it, it shows that speaking in tongues was the manifestation of the Spirit of God within somebody. Now, look at, let's look real quick at chapter 10 of Acts. I have just two more scriptures and we're going to be done. In chapter 10, verse 44 through 47, this is the first Gentile convert in the book of Acts. A Gentile in the, in the Bible means a person that was not Jewish. And it says, even as Peter was saying these things, he was speaking the message of the gospel to these Gentiles. It says, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. Then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we had? What it show, why, why, why did they get baptized while Peter was still praying? Because even as they believed in their hearts, that's why we believe you're saved by faith. Because even as they believed in their hearts, they didn't need to hear anything else. And God confirmed their salvation by pouring out the Spirit of God over them. To show these people that were, were religious and spiritual that God will use anybody. That God will pour His Spirit, like it says in the book of Joel, on all flesh. Not just the Israelites, but on all flesh. Not those who are just so devoted to God, they've given everything to God, but on all flesh. Even some, some Gentiles that were just walking in the right direction. And it says, after the words, they were water baptized. Another time, and this is the last verse in Acts chapter 19. This is Paul's third missionary journey that we read about in the book of Acts. And it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Why? Because it's important. He asked them. No, they replied. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience? He asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. And Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, showing that there's a different baptism than just being baptized from John and repentance and a baptism of Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues and prophecy. This, this last verse I shared, I shared it to really prod your hearts. To prod your hearts. Because I know that this is a very peculiar thing to talk about. And as we close, I'm going to share, I shared you one story about the first time I fasted. And I want to share with you the first time I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember going to church. Finally, somebody had invited me. All I had was a simple heart that wanted to know God. I still had issues, but I did know that I was walking in the right direction. And they said at this church service, it's one day and said, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to come up to the altar. I had no idea what that meant. But I thought, man, 
If there's anything that's going to bring me closer to God, then I want it. And I went up to the altar, and this lady came and started praying in tongues while her hand was on me. And I was like, I, re- I remember just thinking, this is ludicrous. And I just started smiling because I was trying not to laugh. I thought, man, this is so stupid. This is so silly. And I remember thinking in my head, lady, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do what you're doing. I don't believe that at all. You're just making noise. And I remember leaving and I went home that night. I remember I was troubled in my heart. And I started thinking, why don't I believe in that? I came up with different ideas I, I, I was reading the Bible. I was like, man, I did, you know, read a little bit about that. And I, I just said, well, shoot. I got on my knees in my room and I said, God, I don't understand this really at all. But if it is something that's going to bring me closer to you, then I want it. And so I said, God, if that's the case, then, then please baptize me with your Holy Spirit and cause me to speak in tongues and that's really something that's there. And I remember I, I, I really felt like, man, I just like there's something I need to break through here. And I, I said, well, maybe I should, you know, get the motion in the ocean started. Maybe I should just try. And I said, let me just make a noise. It says moanings and utterings. Let me just try making some kind of noise. And I said, ah, bah, bah. And even with nobody else around, I felt embarrassed to say that out loud. Because I felt like I sounded foolish even with no one else there. But as soon as I said that, as soon as I made that step of faith to believe, I felt the presence of God come over me. I felt so much joy and I truly felt a difference from that point in my life from, compared to before. I felt it. And I, I, I felt like a, a rejuvenation in my soul. I said, whoa, ba ba ba. And I started praying in tongues. And from that moment forward, I decided I wasn't going to be ashamed of a gift of God. In the same way that I didn't want to be ashamed of Jesus himself, I didn't want to be ashamed of his gifts. There's even a moment where my, my grandmother was a Baptist. Sweet old lady. And I hadn't, I, 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 she didn't know me that well growing up, but I was trying to make an effort in the, the later parts of her life before she died. And I was sitting there my wife was with me and we were talking about spiritual stuff. And she started talking to me about this lady that started speaking in tongues at Walmart, which I think would be weird. Okay. But she leans over to me and touches my arm like that. She says, now you don't believe in that whole speaking in tongues business, do you? My grandmother didn't even paint her nails. Okay. She was a hard lady. She's cowboyed up. And it was intimidating to tell my grandmother Yes, and there's a part of me that felt like I might be embarrassed if I said it. I said, man, I don't want to be embarrassed of this gift of God. And I said, well, actually, no, I do. I, I pray in tongues myself. And, and even just to my grandmother, I was like, man, I'm going to have to stand up to her. <laughs> but I, I, it was a witness to her that I wasn't ashamed of the things of God. And she didn't slap me on the face or anything. She said, oh, well, you know, however God moves. <laughs> And so as we close, I want you to all bow your heads and close your eyes. And we talked about some in-depth things today, and I know that we went longer than we usually do. But before we move on to anything else, I want you to ask yourself the simple question. Have you 
started walking with Jesus with childlike faith. With your eyes closed and your head bowed, I want you to think, have a moment with God. I want you to ask yourself, have I had a childlike faith? Have I entered a relationship with Jesus Christ? And, and if you're here and you want to make that decision today, you want to have a, a meaningful part, a meaningful moment that you say, today, I believe. With every eye closed and head bowed, I want you to just raise your hand. If you're ready to commit to Jesus, I see your hand. I see your hands. I see all your hands. And so if you, if you rose your hand, even if you wanted to, I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And even if you've already committed your heart and your life to Christ, I want you to repeat it too as a reaffirmation of your faith. And the reason I want you to repeat this prayer is because the book of Romans says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead, that you shall be saved. And so from this point, you don't have to worry or doubt. You can know that God has put a seal over your heart. So pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I put my faith in you. I don't want religion. I want a relationship with you. I come to you in childlike faith with all that I am and I give it to you because I believe you're the son of God because I believe you died on the cross and I believe you rose from the dead. Forgive me of my past and fill me with your presence. Fill me with your spirit and help me to walk after you. In Jesus' name. name. Amen. Amen. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.